St. Warburg's Derby. Morning. Um, it's so good to be here this morning and a real privilege to be here um, sharing with you from the Bible this morning. And the, the summer series we've been looking at St. Wordbergs over the last few weeks is, I'm a little biased, but I really love it. Like, I absolutely love looking at the individuals uh, in the Bible. Um, and they're often described as heroes. Um, and yet, of course, in one sense, that's true. Um, they are deemed heroes. But um, because of what they achieved was remarkable. It was impossible. But actually, as you take a closer look at their lives, the only reason they achieve what they achieved is because of the grace of God, is because of God working through them. And as you look even closer, you realize that some of these people we're looking at over these few weeks are absolutely broken. They are full of mistakes and things that you might regret doing and things you think might write you off from God wanting to use you, but yet God still uses them for remarkable feats. And that's why I get excited about preaching series like this, because we look at the lives of individuals who God used in incredible ways, but were broken and flawed, um, just like you and I. And, um, And today's individual we're looking at is Rahab. We're going to be looking at the story of Rahab and we're going to um, jump straight into uh, the Bible in uh, Joshua 2. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, feel free to turn to Joshua 2. It's somewhere near the beginning. Um, And if you haven't got your Bible, it's going to come up on the screen, so uh, not to worry. But um, where we pick up the story here in Joshua 2, uh, it's about 40 years after Uh, the Israelites were dramatically set free from captivity in Egypt. Moses led the people of God out of Egypt through the Red Sea as it parted, and they find themselves in the wilderness, excited and enthusiastic for fulfilling the promises that God has spoke to them. Within not too long, they, they doubt Moses, they doubt God, they lose faith, and they turn away. And they spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness until every single person in that generation has died, Moses hands over the leadership to Joshua and Joshua is now leading the people of God at the very edge of the promised land. And this is where we pick up the story in Joshua 2. Um, I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through to verse 18. So um, follow as we go to get a sense of this story. So it starts Joshua 2 verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spires on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuit had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spires lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to 
my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go hide yourselves. Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until the return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, here's Andy's link. This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and sisters and all your family into your house. Today we're looking at the story of Rahab, Rahab the prostitute. Um, And you know, if God's grace is big enough for Rahab, God's grace is big enough enough for us this morning. I'm going to pray and we'll just spend a few minutes looking at this. Jesus, I, I thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that when two or three people gather in your name, you are here. I thank you that you long to meet with us so that we might become transformed and look more like you today. And I pray you would meet with every single one of us. Amen. Um, I, I remember when Esther and I were, were newly dating a few years ago. And I, there's lots of wonderful memories I could share about that season. But I'm going to focus on the one real negative memory I can remember from that season. It felt only fitting with the, the weather today. And it's the kind of memory that makes you feel a little sick when you think of it. So, so bear with me. Um, when we started uh, dating, I, I had a driving license, but I didn't have a car and Esther was learning to drive, which felt like it took forever, but she did pass. Um, and, um, and so I didn't have a car, Esther didn't have a car, and you know, young in love, we relied on public transport, getting the bus together, and occasionally Esther's mum would give us a lift, which, you know, isn't the smoothest thing to do as a boyfriend, but it worked out well in the end. And so, um, about two months into dating, uh, so we've been about two months, and Esther's at this point probably already planning the wedding and giving hints about proposals and all that sort of stuff, but... That's not the story for today. Um, So about two months in, Esther phones me on a Saturday afternoon and says, "Um, Dan, I'm picking you up for church tomorrow. My initial thought is, well, you've not got a driving license, you've not got a car. But the the bigger thought was, please no, I don't want to die yet, I'm too young. So I said, no, 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 it's fine, we can get the bus, it's not a problem. Um, She didn't pick up my concerned tone and said, no, no, my mum's insured me on the car, I'm picking you up, I'll be around about 8.30 tomorrow morning. Before I could protest, she had hung up the phone and I went to say my final prayers. Um, And then, uh, fast forward a few hours, um, it's the morning, I'm brushing my teeth, it's just before half eight, and my dad shouts up to me, "Um, Dan, did you hear that bang? I said, no, I'm just busy brushing my teeth, fresh breath is important when you're newly dating. Um, uh, Is that too far? Um, And... um, and then my dad goes to the window and he goes, no, no, really, did you hear that bang? Esther's just crashed. I sort of laughed it off because we were joking about this just the day before. And then he said, no, no, come outside now. Sort of annoyed, sort of joking, I wasn't too sure. So we rushed outside and Esther's uh, car um, and herself was in our front garden. Um, and the problem with the car being in the front garden is it had to go through a four-foot-high brick wall. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's quite a busy road, so Esther obviously managed to turn onto the driveway quite slowly. And, you know, the, the, the brake and the accelerator, they are quite close together after all. Um, and so Esther had obviously got confused with the pedals, pressed the accelerator instead of the brake, and there was brick wall everywhere. And the car was in the garden, the bonnet was smashed up, there was smoke coming from it. And, 
I guess the funniest bit, or the most awkward bit of it all, was it was the first time Esther's mum had met my dad. So it was like, hi, I'm Carol, Esther's mum. Um, uh, sorry about your garden wall. Um, and Esther, for the next few months, said sorry every time she saw my dad. Um, and it is a bit of a funny story, but um, it, it, for the, it took my dad about three months to get that wall fixed. And um, every time Esther came around my house, every time we talked about my house, every time actually she saw a car... It took her back to that moment. She could have been having the best day in the world. She could have been uh, enjoying life. But as soon as she thought about that moment, it took her back and she felt awful. And she persisted to keep saying sorry until my dad got the ball fixed so that he wouldn't have to put up with her apologies anymore. Um, But actually thinking about that moment took her back to what she did to that act where she felt a bit embarrassed and a bit ashamed about knocking my dad's wall down. And, you know, that is sometimes how it can be in our lives if we have something in our past that we haven't allowed the forgiveness of Christ to set us free from. We can be having the best day in the world, the best season in the world, and all of a sudden we see him or her or a picture of that person pops up on social media or we hear that song or we drive past that place or that person mentions that person, just something which takes us back to our past, to an event or an occasion or something that we did and suddenly we're flooded with guilt and shame and condemnation and it might be the best day in the world, the best season in the world, but that memory, that thing we did or said or might have done just takes us back to those feelings of guilt and shame. We, we don't quite feel good enough or worthy enough for God. And I genuinely believe this morning that no past is too big for Jesus and that the words of Scripture are true, as true today as they have ever been. That as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed um, our sin from us. And that when Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. That there is no condemnation in Christ. No guilt, no shame is too big for Jesus to wipe away. This is the message embedded in the story of Rahab. Rahab the prostitute is not defined by her past. So why should I be and why should you be? Jesus is big enough. And the root word um, of Rahab actually translates as innkeeper. Um, And it's highly likely that she was running uh, some sort of brothel of sorts um, where people would would be able to go to relatively undetected. They could go there without being caught or without being seen. And I imagine Rahab has got to a point in life where she's probably just trying to make it by in life, probably just trying to survive, judged by her profession, judged by what she does to earn money, never quite feeling good enough, just trying to survive in life making money the only way she knows how. And I wonder how many people in our world today, maybe even Derby, maybe even in this church, are just, just trying to survive, just trying to get by because they never quite feel good enough. They never quite feel like they meet the standard, never quite feel like they're, they're worthy of God or worthy of even sitting in a building like this. Feeling judged by the life they've lived or maybe even the life they are living. finding it impossible to shake the labels that have been placed on them. And and that is how Rahab felt. She's mentioned in five different places in the Bible, and in four of those she's referred to as Rahab the prostitute. That is the name given to her. Not just Rahab, but Rahab the prostitute. But actually, whatever our past is, or whatever our present is, good or bad, we can all relate to this story. The really, really, really good news of Jesus this morning is that we're all in the same boat. None of us are good enough for God on our own. We are all in the same boat this morning. 
The story of Rahab is the story of the unapproachable woman. In the city of Jericho, known as the fortified city, everyone knows about her, but I bet hardly anyone actually knows her. In her line of work, she would have been held close, but I bet she never felt intimate. She probably felt distant from everybody. She's the woman who's talked about but not talked with. She almost definitely felt unapproachable, isolated and unworthy. But God feels entirely different about Rahab. We see that in the story. And God feels entirely different about us if we have ever experienced those emotions. Rahab's story is for those who have ever felt unapproachable, broken, distant, shamed, unworthy, unforgiven, uninvited, friendless, disqualified, forgotten, hopeless. We could keep going. But it's not just Rahab's story, it's our story. And most importantly, it's God's story. And the reason it's God's story this morning is because if you have ever felt those emotions, either in your past or in your present, just take one look at biblical history or church history. This is God's primary business on planet Earth. Redeeming our past and reversing the labels that have been placed on us through the death and resurrection of Jesus who wipes our slate clean and says we are a new creation in Christ this morning. That is God's primary business and that is why the story of Rahab finds itself in Hebrews 11, the, uh, the hall of faith. Because it's about the redemption of someone's past, putting their faith in Jesus and being given a new beginning. And when I reread this uh, story uh, for this talk, um, I was struck um, by all the different reasons commentaries gave for why the two spies ended up at Rahab's house. You know, it may have been that um, lots of foreigners, lots of people traveling to this city, uh, went uh, to Rahab's house. It was a a usual place that foreigners or travelers would go, and so maybe the spies felt they could go there undetected and not get caught. Because I did wonder why two, you know, men of God are, are entering a prostitute's house, but there seems to be some pragmatic reason for it. The second reason that was given by the commentaries is um, Joshua was actually one of the spies sent out by Moses um, earlier in the Bible, and maybe Joshua advised the spies, hey, why don't you go there? That's where we went. We didn't get caught. Check out that place. It's a good place to go and hide. Or thirdly, maybe um, it says in the Bible that um, Rahab's house was built into the city walls. Maybe they went there because there was an easy escape route if things did get a little shady. If they did get caught, they could get out quickly um, and not be killed. And, you know, all of those reasons make some sense. They seem to add up, but they didn't really satisfy me. As I looked at this story, I just had a sense that actually the reason they ended up at that house was because God led them there. Yes, those things may have played their part, but God led them to that house because God was at work in Rahab's life. Rahab might not have even known it, but God was at work behind the scenes in Rahab's life to join up the dots so that she could meet with God and have her life transformed. But the reality is, you know, as we look at the the spies, um, watching too much Netflix probably, a bit of James Bourne, a bit of Jason Bourne, James Bond, Jason Bourne, got there in the end. Um, Spies, uh, to me, um, go pretty undetected. They can avoid all sorts of situations. But the spies in this story, in verse 1, they're sent out by Joshua. And, you know, there's a million people who are part of the, the Israelite family. They send out two guys. They must be the best of the best. And in verse 1, they're sent out. Um, they arrive at Rahab's house. And by verse 2, they've already been caught, um, which tells me they're probably not the best spies in the world. Um, maybe some an anonymous snitch uh, told the king of Jericho, or, or maybe it was someone at Rahab's house who, um, who told the king of Jericho that they were there. But by verse 2, 
um, the king of Jericho sends soldiers to Rahab's house. Maybe he knew, or maybe he just assumed that that's where foreigners go. But Rahab now has the biggest decision of her life. She um, has a knock on the door, some soldiers come, and if she gives them the wrong answer, she will be killed without a hesitation. This is her biggest choice. What or whom does she trust more? The physical presence of Jericho's army and strength was clear to see. Does she trust what she can see, what seems to be powerful in human terms, or does she trust two men hiding in some plants on her roof? What does she trust more? You know, Rahab has heard the stories of God from afar. We read that in Scripture. She'd heard about the Red Sea. She'd heard about their victories. God has been working behind the scenes, and she decides to put her faith in a God she doesn't know yet at the risk of her life. Her exceptional faith allows her to see beyond her present situation. I wonder this morning what situations are stopping you from putting all of your faith eggs in one basket, just like Rahab. She risked her life for it. What's stopping us from putting our faith in, uh, putting all of our faith in Jesus today? How can you, how can I, like Rahab, see beyond and above our circumstances and put our faith in God to deliver us and set us free? Rahab's declaration here reveals her loyalty. She tricks the soldiers and tells the two spies how to survive by hiding in the hills. The, pro- the spies promise that she'll be spared when the Israelite army returns. And that promise is symbolized by a scarlet cord, wherever they are, that Andy had earlier, symbolized by a scarlet cord hanging from the window. That was Rahab's lifeline. All her hope was placed in that blood-red cord hanging from her window. Her life rested on it. And you know the rest of the story. The spies return to Joshua full of faith, and Joshua prepares the army for battle. They cross the River Jordan, a miracle in itself. And when they get to Jericho, they march around the city for seven days. And on that seventh day, they march around seven times. They blow their trumpets and the walls come crumbling down. A miracle of God. And in all of this, where does Rahab live? In the city walls. The one bit of wall that doesn't fall down is Rahab's. God is protecting Rahab. God is at work behind the scenes in the life of Rahab. And I know he's at work behind the scenes in the life of us and the life of people living in Derby. Rahab survives and this is how that journey ends in chapter 6 verse 24 and 25. It says this. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Nothing survived but Rahab and her family. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, there's her name again, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua sent as spies to Jericho. And here it is, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. She becomes part of the Israelite family. She is not determined by her past. She becomes one of the Israelites. She becomes one of the people of God. And I I love this story. It's a story about forgiveness. It's a story about bravery. It's a story about faith. It's a story about God's miraculous power. But this story is preserved to shape us and to change us. And I want to pull out three super quick points um, that we can apply to us this week, which is going to help us um, in our journey. And the first one, God is always looking. Okay, He's always at work moving people towards faith. That's what you see in the background of Rahab's story. She may not have known it, but God was already at work in her life. And maybe you are here today because you've sensed something going on in your life. Have you considered that it might be the God of the universe drawing you to himself? Or maybe today you already know Jesus. 
Have you considered that the primary way God draws people to himself is through other Christians, those who already know him? Who God uses is not dependent on past performance, it's dependent on encountering the grace of God that sets us free from our past. God is already at work in the people around us. How can we open our eyes to allow God to use us to help other people join the dots up between what's going on in their lives and the God of the universe drawing people to himself? Point number two, God looks past our labels. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute. That name is mentioned in Joshua 2, Joshua 6, Hebrews 11, and James 2. There's only one other mention of Rahab in the Bible, and it's in the genealogy in Matthew 1. That's it. All the other times, it's Rahab the prostitute. And at first, I felt really bad for Rahab. Who wants to be known by uh, something you probably regret or a name like that? It's like, you know, when a celebrity makes a a pretty famous mistake, they're known for it for the rest of their lives. And this is what happened to Rahab. I felt a bit sorry for her. But then I felt like God spoke to me. And I feel like this has been preserved for a reason. And the reason this name has been preserved is it's to give us hope. You know, when you see a, a fitness advert on the TV or a diet advert, they show you the before and after, the sort of slightly flabby stomach into the, the six pack. I won't show you mine, it'll only make you jealous. No, I haven't got one, that's why. Um, uh, you, uh, you see the before and after, and, and this, I think, is why this has been preserved. It's to give us hope that this was Rahab before, and now look at her in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Look where she has gone. She is not determined by her past, but she is given a new future in Christ. We are new creations in Christ when we accept Jesus, no longer determined and defined by our past, but given a new future. Our slate is wiped clean. It's true for Rahab, it's true for me, and it's true for you. And that's why I love this series. It's not just Rahab. You look at the individuals from the Bible all the way through. They're full of mistakes being given a new future by God. Moses was a murderer, Jacob was a deceiver, Peter was a denier, David was an adulterer, Saul was a persecutor. I could go on and on and on and on and on. But they're not defined by that. God gives them a new future and he uses them powerfully. God sees past our past and past our labels. The real problem is sometimes we don't see past them. God's already done it. The problem is normally with us. We feel like we have to earn to get our labels off. We feel like we've got to do something. We've got to act. We've got to behave in a certain way. And then I'll be free from these labels and these past and this condemnation that's holding me. But that's not how the gospel works. We come vulnerably. We realize we need a savior. And God promises to set us free. Finally, God is always looking. God looks past our labels. Now, final point, God is looking for active faith. I was away at a youth camp last week and part of that um, was doing some abseiling and rock climbing and I had to put my trust in the harness and uh, the instructor who was in charge of the ropes. And it's one thing to say, yeah, I, I trust this harness, but I'm not getting on that rock climbing wall. To actually put faith in that harness and that rope, I had to climb that wall knowing that if I slipped, I wouldn't fall and hurt myself. God is asking us, God calls us to activate our faith. Faith always invites us to respond in some way. God in, the person has done, God in the person of Jesus has done all the work for us. Jesus lived the perfect life you and I never could. He died the death that we deserve. We're invited to be friends with the living God and have the promise of eternal life because of Jesus' work on our behalf. All we must do is actively respond. 
Just like Rahab did as she lowered down that scarlet cord. She put all of her faith, all of her hope in that cord, knowing that if it didn't come through, she would die. That was what her faith was in. But for us, instead of a scarlet cord, our trust and our hope and our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ who died on our behalf. Regardless of past mistakes, regardless of error, of embarrassment, of shame, of guilt, no matter how bad you think it's been for you, or on the other side of the coin, how good. We all need a saviour, and his name is Jesus.